Mother's Day is almost here, and you can get her the most beautiful time-tested gift around. A watch she can wear every day for movement. Whether mom's into classic dress watches, rare and refined ceramics, or tried-and-true bestsellers, movement has something she'll love. And right now, you can save big on the best Mother's Day gift ever with up to 50% off site-wide during Movement's Mother's Day sale at MVMT.com. Again, that's up to 50% off at MVMT.com. Beautiful. All right. Omar? Yes? You good? I'm gravy. All right. Three, two, one. You're listening to the Face Bay Network. (laughs) We invite people of all backgrounds to share their stories. Their nuanced conversations. And forward thinking. And not taking ourselves too seriously. Everyone's story matters. Every voice is important. Life is polarizing. But not everything is black and white. Come join us as we fade to gray. Hey, everybody. We're coming in with an episode. Omar, Chris, and I. Yeah, I know. I always do it. Omar, Chris, and I are here today with noted author, activist, theologian, and pastor Brandon Robertson. And I just want to note this because this guy has been making the news, okay? He's had articles in the New York Times. He's been in the Huffington Post. Oh, he spoke fake on NPR. News. Oh, okay. He's written 12, he's <laughs> like written and contributed to like 12 books and he's gay. So I'm like super stoked to have this conversation today. <laughs> so to kick things off, Brandon, how are you doing? I'm doing so well. It's good to be here. Thank you. We are so excited to have you. Oh. Um, part of like what we like to do um, at Fade to Gray is really hear people's story um, and kind of allow people's story to paint the picture um, at being able to ask questions and kind of look at things from multiple, multiple angles. Um, so tell us a little bit about yourself, um, especially now that you're a pastor. Did you grow up Christian? What's, what's your story like? Yeah, so the long short story is uh, I grew up in a non-religious home in Maryland. And when I was 12, I ended up uh, going to church with my neighbors. My dad was an abusive alcoholic, so really I was just trying to find a way to get out of the house on the weekends and started going to church. And in that church, I heard for the first time this message of hope, this message that there was a, a God who loved me more than my earthly father loved me. And for my young 12-year-old soul, that was the message I needed to hear. And so I I had kind of a a typical conversion experience, went down the aisle while they were singing hymns and gave my life to Jesus. And then really from that point onward, I also had a sense of calling. I, I felt like I wanted to give my life to preach this message to other people, to help other people come to know that they were loved, that their life had purpose and meaning. And Really, I continued to follow that path all the way up through college when I went off to Moody Bible Institute in Chicago, which is a conservative evangelical school. Um, And during my four years there, everything changed for me because I I always say Moody has one of the worst models for the type of school that it wants to be because it's this fundamentalist Bible college, but it's in the heart of downtown Chicago. And so Mm -hmm. I would learn this conservative theology in the walls of the school. And then when I'd walk outside, I'd be confronted with reality and cultures and experiences that I hadn't had before. And it would often contradict my theology. And so I began having to wrestle with, well, either my theology is right 
or reality is right? And uh, I, I knew the answer. I had to go with reality. And so I started rethinking um, what I believed. And during that same time, I started wrestling with my sexuality as well. Um, and really over those four years, I had my own radio show on our campus radio network and started blogging and really started interviewing people that were more liberal Christians, but were way more loving than the evangelicals I was around. And uh, in Bible college, over the course of my four years, they tried to kick me out six times, but not for anything fun. It wasn't because I was smoking weed behind the dumpster. It was because I was talking to people they thought were heretics. Um, and You shouldn't smoke again, weed seeing... you find behind the dumpster, man. I'm just telling you. <laughs> There's better options out there, especially in San Diego. Is there? Uh, well, in California, we've got good dispensaries yeah. too. So, uh, but, but yeah, so I essentially, my faith started shifting primarily based on experience, right? Like these more progressive people were more like Jesus. And my college was consistently rejecting me. Um, a, a professor found out that I was struggling with my sexuality and they out at me. Oh my gosh, you got the weed. Um, <laughs> uh, that's a whole nother conversation. Not no, on Facebook not. Live. <laughs> You're in California. I'm not. Yeah. I love it. Um, so yeah. And uh, basically a professor found out that I was struggling with my sexuality and out at me to the entire faculty. And so my final year at Moody, they said, basically, if you're going to graduate, we need you to do a year of conversion therapy. So oh, my God. Wow. Oh, time out. Hold up. Rewind. <laughs> no, to, we got to we gotta, graduate. Gotta interject here. Mm. Yeah. There's you've shared so much information and that is a pinpoint. Um, but I, c can I ask before we I want to back up just a little bit to talk because you went Beep. to Moody. Yeah. Moody's pretty Moody's pretty conservative. Moody's pretty out there in that regard. So can I can we just I kind of want to unpack that just a little bit. Yeah. Um what led you into seminary? And then I want to talk about what happened there because that sounds like an yeah. interesting story. Yeah, so for me Moody was liberal. Um the the college the church I grew up in fundamentalist baptist. Um I was looking at schools. I don't know if y'all have heard of like Bob Jones University. I was looking at these very fundamentalist schools. And Moody, um, when I looked it up, I mean, you were allowed to hold hands with your girlfriend at Moody, which was something that was forbidden at Bob Jones. You had to walk on the other side of the street. Um, <laughs> and so I thought, man, this is a liberal school. And yet it still has credibility among evangelicals. Um, and the other side of it was at that time, I had left the fundamentalist church and I was an intern at an evangelical mega church and my pastor graduated from moody and he told me essentially if you go to moody we'll help pay for everything um because i want i was supposed to be the protege to come on staff uh after moody at this church so i go off to moody um thinking it's going to be this you know a little bit more moderate christian school and uh, little did i know that my own worldview my own politics my own experience as a person would change so dramatically and within my first year, I found myself like on the exact other side of uh, Moody. I came in and I was actually more conservative than most people. And within a year, I was the biggest heretic on campus. So, All right. Let's talk about that little uh, tr uh, transition there. For, that's the big, I say little transition. That's a big one, especially in a year's time. Um, Chris, you had a question, though. I felt like I cut you off. You just haven't been here for so long. No, I was just going to say, I mean, that's that's very, you know, I, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Welcome back. Who are you? Ooh, all right. Um, I was going to say, that's like a, a pretty quick transition, you know, one year to kind of go from being super ultra conservative uh, to, you know, being quote unquote a heretic or at least, you know, supporting people or talking with people that would be uh, seen as heretical. Um, 
yeah, like, so was there like a catalyst or was there like some sort of event that made you want to talk to these people? Like, what was it that made you start questioning things and start to uh, change from that very conservative fundamentalist view to a more liberal open view? Yeah, I probably, the time frame was probably more precisely. It would have been a year and a half into my Moody experience. So probably halfway through sophomore year, freshman year, I went in and I think what was so surprising to me was I was significantly more conservative when I went into college, but um, I don't know if y'all have ever met, maybe some of you went to Bible college, but Bible college dudes are <laughs> some of the most arrogant prick people that you'll ever meet. Uh, and <laughs> like these guys were such bullies. I would come in and I was sharing like my version of theology and what we would do for fun is sit up in the lounge late at night and just like spar with one another. And they, again, like I would, I was looking at a mirror of my own theology in them and I was like, is this the kind of guy I want to be? Um, and I did my best to hold on to it. I tried because uh, that's what men were supposed to be like, but it really was um, walking. What we did for fun on the weekends, I was literally the best Bible college student there was in regards to not breaking the rules. And so me and my friends, instead of doing anything fun on the weekends, we'd go to multiple different religious services at different faith communities and it was in that experience of going to the Roman Catholic Church down the road from Moody, which we were taught was the great whore of Babylon, the Catholic Church. Yeah, yeah you'll go to hell if you go there, man. The right. Catholics, I mean, it's it's bad. It they is. don't get abused. It's, it's no but good. I, but I was sitting in mass and I remember hearing the, the priest give his homily and it was such a beautiful... <laughs> a homily... Uh, <laughs> But it was a social justice, very beautiful articulation of the gospel. And um, and I, I felt God there. And so it was really those experiences um, within religious contexts that I kept bumping into that made me at least begin exploring and asking questions. And that was the whole radio show I started. It was like, how do I get a platform so that I can access these theologians that are big or whatever and get them to talk to me? And so we did that. And surprisingly, we're super successful in like who we were able to get, which made me quite visible on campus, at least as mm -hmm. a heretic by association with these Rob Bells and Nadia Volswebers, if you know these people. Um, yeah. Mm -hmm. So, so yeah. And it was really those conversations and those experiences that started the deconstruction for me. Oh, you just said a key word. <laughs> no, that's a good answer. That's a good answer. Um, it's interesting. We've never really talked a whole lot about we've um, about Bible college and kind of some of the things you brought up um, in your experience in your freshman year too. About like, uh, I personally never went to a Bible college. Master's Commission. I'm not, I'm not sure if you're familiar with that. It's it's yeah. it's kind of like the renegade sort of thing, but you know it has all the same like sexual purity rules and things like that. And, and it's the whole idea though of like sparring meant like the, like the way you put that, you know, like, like mental sparring, like just like that. The, I'm looking back and thinking about like, is my experience in master Smith. That's really what, like the dude, that's what all we wanted to do is just like, you know, beat each other up with our knowledge and how much we, we knew and what we're learning from the Bible and how we, how, yeah. how we see it. And, you know, it's, it's, it's. It, I guess it was fun. I was into it for a while. I mean, like you said, staying up to like two, three o'clock in the morning doing that stuff. But it is, it is interesting that um, you've pointed that out. And I just wanted to kind of camp there for a little bit, maybe hear like, um, like other people's thoughts on that. Because my one 
time when I realized kind of like the same thing you did where like kind of face to face, is this really who I want to be? Cause I grew up uh Southern Baptist and then went to um, master's commission is the same as God for people that don't know that anyway. Um, I remember after leaving master's commission, um, I actually got kicked out for smoking weed and some other things. And, uh, Shocker. <laughs> um, my, my roommate, I got in this little town in Kansas. I'm just trying to remember how to tell this story. Um, he, I remember like, we thought we'd be perfect roommates cause I just got a master's commission. He is just like, he wanted to go to Bible college. He was doing the Southern Baptist thing. And I remember like we got, this room together i think we both were just shocked about like who we actually were in this room and like because all he wanted to do it was argue theology with me and at that point in my life i was so into grace and i was just like none of that matters man like let's just love jesus and you like and it was just it was this whole back and forth thing or he tried to start a bible uh like some bible study but they it, it, it just was just a weird power dynamic so anyway so after that long ramble i just thought that that like when, when you brought that that up that's that is such an interesting power dynamic and in, in bible schools and it's like almost like showing how how big your dick is how much not like you know it's it's that whole like how big it is, is it swing? Well, it's it's our way of competing i mean that was i mean you look at people in okay i, I hate to say the secular world but you know if we're talking like bible college it was like sports in a way that's how you showed your superiority and your knowledge and it's what made you look good and feel like Jesus loved you. If you could, if you could fight it out in regards to scripture and arguments, I always felt like I was closer to God. Like I, it's as if I won something. I don't know. It's such a weird world because it's literally. I mean, it's that is the entirety of what the Bible college and Christian theological college world is like. And it's even like I'm just remembering back. There is even the standard like. Women would really want a strong-minded, arrogant, uh, somebody who could throw down Bible <laughs> yeah. verses. Like that was a thing right. in the dating culture. <laughs> it, until they, until yeah. you, they live with you, and then, and then they're like, "What the fuck did I just marry?" You know, like, what do you yeah. expect? Yeah, yeah, it's it's a weird world, and I think you said it uh, exactly right. Um, that it, it is our version of finding legitimacy. It's the only version mm-hmm. that gives us a sense of meaning in life and that's really sad like that's preparing these pastors to go into a world where nobody's spending their days thinking about theology like who you can't shepherd anybody like that and it's just anyways i could rant on that for an hour no it's good it's good i I know that's probably where nobody was really going with the conversation but it's something that like we talk about deconstruction a lot and that's that's where we broke off because you brought in the you're talking about your deconstruction but i was like man that's let's unpack that for a second let's sit on there for a minute so I don't know, Chris, did you didn't, I know you were, did you go to school for any of that? No, I didn't go to Bible school, but there were, you know, lots of people that I was involved with at church that went and man, they started getting into Rob Bell and all these heretics. <laughs> and I, I just didn't have any, any part of it. I thought, man, these guys are going to hell. What the, what the, what the hell's going on here, man? These people used to love Jesus and now they're, they're turning liberal. You know, I almost felt like Alex I mean, Jones, they about were turning gay. Well, yeah, and it's just, you know, that's not what the Bible's about. The Bible, you know, says that uh, people are going to hell. The Bible condemns uh, homosexuals. The Bible, you know, that that's not what my God does, you know. So I, for me at the time, of course, I'm in a completely different place now, but for me at the time, those Bible college kids 
they were the ones that heretical with all their uh, knowledge and stuff that they were learning from uh, authors like Rob Bell and whatnot. But I'm actually interested because for me, it wasn't necessarily the Christians that did me in. Uh, for me, it was the Bible itself. And so I'm actually extremely surprised and shocked that as a gay man, uh, that it wasn't the Bible uh, that did that for you, um, that it was actually Christians that kind of led you on the path of deconstruction or whatever you want to call it. Um how do you feel about the Bible? Is it something you think is inerrant? Do you think it's uh, bullshit? What's going on with it? It's certainly not inerrant, but I think, uh, yeah, my view of the Bible now obviously is very different than what it was 10 years ago. I think the Bible today is a helpful book insofar as that it records humans, uh, humanity's journey of consciousness and uh, kind of our spiritual evolution. And I think it's remarkable, especially the Hebrew Bible Old Testament, how you see these kind of circumstances where humanity tries to justify their terrible behavior, their conquering behavior, their colonizing behavior by saying, God told us to do this. And we continue to do that today. And I think like those parallels make the Bible profoundly important. We also can't deny that Bible is the basis of Western culture. Like the stories, the rhythm of the Bible is how we do our life, whether we like it or not. And so we have to treat the Bible with some level of respect um, but we always say, I mean, I, I try to take the Bible as it was intended, which I mean, like Genesis is mythology and poetry. Okay, so if we understand that, then you can actually begin to get something worthwhile out of it. But um, like I've been spending uh, too much time today on TikTok debating people who are angry that I said Adam and Eve weren't real. And it's like, <laughs> you're asking the text to do something it's not meant to do. It was not trying to describe how humanity began. It's yeah. a story about human nature. But yeah, so... Great answer. It's a science book, Brandon. I was told, I was taught <laughs> that we turn to the Bible for all of our answers. All right, Ken If Ham. we have any questions, the Bible oh will tell God. us. <laughs> He's got a pretty cool uh, museum, I though. might throw up. Yeah, have you been to the Ark yet? Has anybody here been to the Ark yet? <laughs> I, heard, I heard it's going out of business, but I don't know. I hope. <laughs> so are you like writing uh, letters back and forth with that Joshua Ferenstein guy? Are you guys pretty good friends? As Christians, who is this Joshua Fern? <laughs> I don't know. I'm just making uh, th that one really oh. religious dude. You know who I'm talking about now? Well, okay. So, all right. Back on that Whoa. question of the Bible, because <laughs> you bombed. said a very nice, neat little thing there <laughs> about how the Bible, you know, is not meant to be looked at that way. How do you know that? Uh, well, this is again another thing I've been debating on TikTok about. I think this is the thing. I think one of the worst things to happen in Christian history was the Reformation because. On one hand, it was great to liberate knowledge. On the other hand, giving an ancient book to lay people and telling them that they can understand it just by reading it is terrible. And I mean, I've done uh, eight plus years of academic study of scripture, and I know the culture, I know the context, I know Greek, and I know Hebrew. And so I am pretty confident that I can wrestle with the text in a way that's faithful and accurate. Nice. And um, most people believe, however, that they can just open the Bible, take it literally and <laughs> be happy and on their way. And that is what has caused, I think, so much destruction spiritually, but also in the world today. It's why Christians support the nation of Israel uh, in their conquest of the Palestinian people. It's like you're not understanding the culture or context of Scripture and you're taking what you want to justify your political agenda, which, of course, I do as well but at least I do it with a knowledge of Greek and Hebrew. Right. So, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so, so your dick still swings the biggest. <laughs> 
I have an affinity oh gosh, for linguists. You guys are referencing so, that yeah, so awesome. many times. Very cool. Very cool. I think that's a great answer. I mean, you know, as someone who can actually look at the original text and say, hey, this is what it actually is talking about. I think you certainly your dick swings bigger, uh, you know, in that uh, uh, respect. So uh, I think that's a great answer. But I will say, you know, what do you do with the scriptures that you don't like? Do you because here's what I'm thinking. I think there's a huge movement right now. And I apologize for dominating the conversation. I'm going to let you all talk here in a little bit. But there's a huge movement right now of people saying, you know what? I don't really like the Bible. I don't really like the God of Jacob. I don't really like the God of Abraham, but Jesus is pretty cool. Uh, I like his message of love. I like how he rebelled against the establishment of their religious uh, right. Um, and so I'm just going to you know, choose to take that. Would you say, okay, I'm very curious about this because I'm, I'm thinking that I'm starting to understand what people are, are trying to do here. Would you say that when Jesus came around that he wouldn't have even claimed to have been the God of Abraham's son? He was simply just preaching love uh, and that that was maybe something that was bestowed upon him. Like what's going on there? Yeah. Yeah. You might get me in trouble with this one, but I'll tell the truth. Uh, I think, I don't think Jesus thought that he was God. I don't think Jesus was interested in starting a religion. I think Jesus and the earliest Christians, uh, Peter and James, James, who grew up with Jesus for 33 years as his brother, uh, they had an understanding of what Jesus was doing as trying to be a social revolutionary prophet within Judaism. He wanted to continue. He wanted his followers to continue being faithful Jews while also living in opposition to the Roman Empire and trying to start an insurrection literally from the ground up and he did it through peace and justice and these very nice things that we talk about and preach about. But I think, um, and, and I would say the way you articulated how people use the Bible, that is how I use the Bible. And I have make no qualms about, I think understanding the Hebrew Bible and its context is so helpful and important, but I'm more concerned about the four gospels and particularly just the gospel of Mark, which is a gospel that we know is historically the most reliable to get, what Jesus was actually trying to teach ethically and morally and spiritually, and then try to take those lessons and apply them for my people at my church to our 21st century context. But um, I think we, we really miss the point when, and Christianity today misses the point when it becomes about converting people to a religion that Jesus himself didn't even belong to. Um, Mm. And, (laughs) and I also have this theory that the apostle Paul um, actually hijacked Christianity in a very uh, unfortunate way. Um, and there's a there's a whole scholarly theory that's starting to emerge saying that Paul never met Jesus. Paul had no knowledge of Jesus. The early apostles said Paul wasn't an apostle. He claimed to have a vision on the road, and all of a sudden he's now an apostle. And he preaches a message that's antithetical to what Jesus was preaching. And I think there's some really interting stuff to contemplate there. Hmm. So I'll leave oh, that. That's there. great. <laughs> I, I want to ask that. a question for Did Seth I? before Seth asks it. <laughs> do you, do you think Paul the apostle was gay? No. Uh, no, I don't. Gosh darn it! Why not, Brandon? He couldn't listen. It was his thorn. Listen, the man, the man. He talked more about relationships and telling people to, you know, it's better to it's better to like jump in the ocean with a thing around your neck than to, you know, date a woman. Like he was, he better didn't want anyone to have sex. The man was super. Hey. He was super sexually repressed <laughs> because he was struggling with his homosexual desires. This man knows the Greek. I, I think he I, can tell us what it was. What was thorn 
Nobody knows what his thorn was. Uh, I know. But, I, yeah, I, I doubt it because I think if he... Why? Uh, it's it's going to be hard. There's no compelling argument either way. But the Apostle Paul was a high-ranking, deeply studied, elite Jewish man um, who, I mean, homosexuality in the Hebrew context wouldn't have even been a question. So you, he might have been oriented towards being gay, but like it wasn't an option for him to even think about or choose. Um, but I, I just think there's a lot of gay theologians that try to go in that path. And I just think because it's not provable in any way that ultimately we lose conservatives when we try to say Paul was gay or even David and Jonathan were gay um, because we can't actually prove that. But I, there are people in the New Testament who are gay and we can prove that. Uh, the eunuch in Acts chapter 8 was gay. Jesus talked about gay people, eunuchs, um, who again, were people who either were born intersex, uh, decided not to have sex because they were gay and became celibate and served in the courts of women, or had their penis chopped off as a way to keep themselves from sexually sinning. And so I think we haven't done enough study about eunuchs, and they're the real queer people in the Bible. Wow. Hmm. Interesting. Great answers, man. I'm so glad. I'm like I said, I was sick before this conversation. I'm so glad that I showed up because, brother, this is this is this is a great conversation. And uh, I, I'm, and Chris, you've had some great que- questions. I've missed you, and um, I want to kind of continue kind of down some of that like path of like <sighs> the Bible. And I loved your answer of kind of like focusing on Mark mainly you know, on, on Jesus and like, you know, his, cause there was some political ties and things like that. So is there a hell and no. Okay. Well then that, that answers the second question then too. Okay. And you say no as in no internal conscious torment or no as in not existing at all. Like, you know, like, cause that's also like a, you know, an option too. So. Yeah, I don't, I think I, I can't see a reason why it would exist. Um, on, on questions of the afterlife, I always say I've never died, so I can't give a real answer there. But if my basic understandings and impulses about what God is are true, then there's liter- there's no room for hell. And there's also not room for the conception of heaven that's often been put out there as this kind of eternal sunny place where we all go and are good forever. Like, honestly, if heaven is the way it's articulated by conservative Christians. It sounds like hell to me. It's like everything's perfect. Yeah. And there's no struggle and no story and nothing to do. Like that doesn't sound just to sit good. there and sing songs all day to God. That sounds awful. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, and all your friends like here on earth or in some place, some other place. I'm like, Oh, how does that work? Yeah. Yeah. Do you think that the, Jesus, the Trump supporters? Oh God. Do you think that Jesus even believed in a, a hell or an afterlife because you know you, you see whenever he's talking to the thieves on the cross right he's saying like you know today you will be with me in paradise what, what is he talking about then yeah we absolutely know for a fact jesus didn't believe in an afterlife because jewish people there was no Correct. concept of an afterlife yes. um and so what Jesus, I mean, this is a thing that people misinterpret jesus's word that's translated hell is gehenna i was in israel last summer it's uh refers to the Valley of Hinnom, which is directly outside of the old city of Jerusalem. It's a lovely place. We had a picnic there. I picnicked in hell. It was fun. <laughs> and um, 
And it was the garbage dump. It, 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 right. It's the image of refining. Jesus was saying, if you keep walking in these destructive, greedy, selfish ways, you're going to end up in the garbage dump, literally. And I agree with that. We are going to hell as a culture right now. We're walking towards Gehenna. But, and then paradise was a Jewish understanding of Sheol, which is the place that all dead people went to. Um, and yes, this is true that in the Jewish conception of Sheol, there was a kind of good side and a bad side. But the idea was everyone's going to get resurrected in the end, and we were all going to face judgment, but there was no concept of them being thrown into hell and been taken off into heaven. Like Jewish people didn't think right. that. I think that what, from what I understand, that sort of doctrine kind of bled in through uh, actual like uh, teachings out of the Middle East, um, like uh, uh, yeah. what's the word? Zoroastrianism. And- there you are. Yes. That's what I was thinking of. Yeah. Interesting. So with some of your answers you've given us today, Brandon, I why not just be some sort of form of Judea, like Jew or Judaism? Like that seems like that's Jesus never came to change that culture, like necessarily. Like and so Christianity, like, is something that like was people trying to figure all that out. So it's kind of like, yeah. why stay in Christianity if it kind of is like the bastard? son of what Jesus was actually trying to do anyway? Great question. I, I, I've wrestled with this a lot. I think the paycheck. I don't know that I'll say that. Okay. What was that? God damn, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> That's, hey, he, he, he did spend That's eight years true. like, you know, getting to where he is now. So <laughs> The good news is my church that I have now, like, they're so on board with all That's of awesome. this. So paycheck's not on the line. But, uh, <laughs> but the thing is, I think Jesus, he was teaching people how to live a certain ethical paradigm out. And that ethical paradigm translates into every culture and every religious context. And so I think it is very possible to follow Jesus and be Hindu. And I think Jesus intend, intended it to be that way. He didn't teach really religious teachings at all. He spent a lot of time challenging the religious teachings of his own tradition. But when you get to the core, he says all of the law and the prophets are summed up in, you know, love God and love your neighbor as yourself. If that's the core of his ethical principle for how he believes God wanted the world to look like, that can be adapted into a humanistic lens, that can be adapted into an atheistic lens, that can be adapted into a Muslim lens. And so... What about political lens? I... (laughs) This is where I get in trouble, but I, I mean, I'm, I'm a proponent. I think uh, Christianity, according to Jesus, is inextricably linked to politics. And mm. um, I think it's been done wrong, but 90% of what Jesus taught was political. And again, you'd miss that if you didn't know the culture and context, but I'm sure you all know, like the phrase Jesus is Lord that Paul adopted was a parody of the phrase Caesar is Lord that was on every coin in every government building. Jesus was proclaiming something deeply political. And I honestly think in this moment of American political history, we have something to like, there's some really pertinent things about Jesus's politics that would be very helpful for us. Wasn't uh, Caesar, wasn't Caesar also said to have been born of a virgin? Yeah. Uh, Essentially, there's a lot of evidence First of all, I'm going to go down a very weird path, um, but there is a lot of evidence that the gospel narratives, uh, the four gospels, each one obviously has a different kind of narrative theme to Jesus's life, but the writers parodied, um, one of them parodied, parodied, parodied 
Homer's Odyssey, which is the Gospel of Mark. Um, anyways, they adopted these myths that were prominent in the pagan world and then wove truth about Jesus in there, but they wanted to make him look like the Messiah. And so they create genealogies and they create stories that fulfill prophecies. Um, and I think that's what we have in the Gospels. I think, Mark, you have a lot less of it, but there are definite parallels throughout Mark to Homer's Odyssey. And you just, that stuff you can't just chalk up to being uncanny uh, reflections. I mean, clearly somebody knew what they were Certainly. doing. Yeah. And it worked. Or even get, Christianity yeah. spread throughout the Roman Empire, yeah. right? Yeah. And, you know, with what you're saying, it almost seems like you don't think Jesus is divine. So this is where. I walk a line here. I, I do think Jesus is, I would say Jesus is the incarnation of God. Um, and I would say, I don't think Jesus thought that he was God. Um, I think both are true. When I'm talking about the historical Jesus, um, that is different than the Christ of faith. And I won't deny, and I, this, I, I won't deny that I experienced when I was 12 years old, something that I understood as Jesus Christ that transformed my life. And I continue to encounter that Jesus um, and I can't explain that. So I believe in that version of Jesus being God. And I think the early disciples also experienced something like that. And I think that can be true. And Jesus, the historical man, could have also been primarily a social prophet, a radical revolutionary who became God in the mind of his followers later on. Or, I mean, there's, I'm also not opposed to supernatural belief. So may, I really, Jesus did rise from the dead spiritually and there's something more going on is what I'm saying. So gotcha. I, I, again, I love it. And it's going to segue into a, another question. It may be like one of the last ones. I don't know how much time we have left, but, uh, we haven't let Seth ask okay. any questions. Well, this is something that I think. This, <laughs> yeah, I've, I've been. I've just. This been is one waiting. of my last. This will be this one of my. Good, this will be one of my so last of questions. How about that? This will be one of my last questions, and then you guys can can take over from there. And I think it might it might so trigger bad. Seth anyway because. Do you think that some <laughs> of Jesus's teachings or the direction he was going with his teachings of the whole like, of being Lord and how, set politically and social 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 i can't speak today social socially we'll just go that way um are we gods can we be gods <gasps> no you didn't that is not where i thought you were going i know um, <laughs> no you did not bring that up okay yeah let him go Brandon. have fun with this yes we are thank you uh the new testament says peter writes uh or no paul writes jesus was the firstborn among many brethren the idea of Jesus being the son of God, this is, I mean, this is the political message that was so revolutionary. Caesar was the only son of God. Jesus comes along and says, I am the son of God, but also you're the children of God. We're all children of God, which was subverting the power structure of the day and saying, actually, yes, there is a bit of God in all of us. I see it. I see I it in his message for sure. Yeah. Yeah. That's as much of a Jewish belief as there could be. Being made in the Imago Dei, the image and likeness of God. We are literally... Uh, the Genesis myth says God breathed into us and that became our life. Um, Paul quotes the pagan prophet, which is my favorite quote of his in the book of Acts and says, in God, we live and move and have our being. Um, so, yes, I think Jesus thought that we were all partakers in the, the divine nature and the rest of Christianity taught that. Um, and Eastern Orthodoxy has always taught that even up until today. Is so. that not just 
a metaphor for the fact that we're all made up of star stuff? I mean, it's kind of the same concept, is it not? Yeah, I think for me, my understanding of it is that there is something eternal inside of all of us. Uh, We don't understand consciousness scientifically. We don't understand consciousness philosophically. But I think there's something in consciousness that connects all of us together and will transcend this life. And I think that's what we call God. And whether it be some sort of Israel deity or not, there is an undeniable connection in humanity with Mm -hmm. each other, with nature, with everything that was, you know, made or created or, you know, that happened, however it did. Um, there's some sort of connectedness. And I think whenever you say that you had some sort of a supernatural experience when you were 12, it's very likely that that is just something that you created within yourself because you, sure. because you needed a way out. Um, what of, are you trying to like tell this guy what he experienced geez, I mean, when he was 12? Come on. <laughs> he needed a way out of the experience he was going through with his abusive father. And I 100% identify with that. Whenever I found Jesus, I needed him. And at that time, I've said this before, I think Jesus did save me at one point. You know, he's not my savior today. I saved myself. But I think at the time I needed him, you know, so I can completely understand yep. that. And and I think that's the utility of Christianity, even from a secular perspective. I think uh, people have to acknowledge that, yes, religion has great evil attached to it. And it's also the very thing that literally does save people from ending it all. It's the, it's the thing that pulls you back from the ultimate existential dread. And I think that makes it worthwhile. And that is also going to keep it from ever going away. Floor is yours, Seth. <laughs> so I, this, I've kind of been sitting back and just listening because Brandon, you've already like crushed two of my biggest arguments that I throw around all the time. And that We're not is gods that, and Paul wasn't gay. Yeah, you got it. Yeah. And you've just destroyed both of them. <laughs> that well done. Bravo. Bravo. But I interrupted rudely as you were sharing your story when we kind of diverted into the theology conversation because you mentioned going to Moody and then I kind of jumped in and I wanted to back up. Um, But I want to process that a little bit because um, I am also gay and wanted to go into the ministry, did an entire year internship at a mega church, um, essentially trying to earn God's favor. It never worked. And then I went to gay straight camp for three months and did all of that Then became a counselor to try to help people who were struggling. But in that entire process, I never got to a point where I was really ever, ever truly able to accept myself um, mm-hmm. because of my religious upbringing. So I want to talk about your ex- when I, when I inter- interrupted you because you mentioned that you were at Bible uh, Mooney Bible College, and then they eventually found out, and they were going to make you go to conversion therapy. Like, what happened there? Like, finish that story. Yeah, the the end of that is essentially I went through conversion therapy for a year. It was a very light version, though. Uh, it's not as intense as what we've seen in the movies recently, but um, but I did it. It didn't work. Um, and I graduated Moody by the grace of God, literally. Uh, and didn't I just felt so disillusioned afterwards because I knew now that I was gay. Uh, I still mm-hmm. didn't know what I believed about it. And I moved home to Washington, D.C. And really to fast forward through that next year, um, I started leading a national organization called Evangelicals for Marriage Equality in D.C., was right before the marriage equality vote. Um, 
And that got me a lot of criticism. Uh, we were in Time Magazine, we were in all the top publications, and Southern Baptist started coming for me. And I was still identifying as straight, by the way. Wow. Um, and I ended up losing a book deal because of my support for marriage equality. During that time, reporters started digging around in my Who life. Was the publisher? And um, it was a, in Pennsylvania, actually, Destiny Image Publishers. They do like Bishop T.D. Jakes all right. and Burn them Joyce books. Meyer. All right, go ahead. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so when I lost the book deal, some reporters started digging around. Um, a reporter from Time Magazine found out that I was gay, that I had like started coming out and I was still identifying as straight publicly. And I ended up getting outed in Time Magazine in 2016. So you never actually outed uh, yourself? By Time Jesus. Magazine, too. That's 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 yeah. that's way to get outed if you can Big. get outed, I guess. <laughs> it was, I mean, traumatic for the day or two that it happened. And then, like, my dating life in D.C. was incredible because I was out there, man. <laughs> I bet it was. <laughs> but, but seriously, like, it, I mean, I am grateful for it because, like, I didn't have to talk to my parents, didn't have to talk to anybody. Everybody found out. And I was there. And then really, I mean, the rest is history for the next five years or however long it's been. I had this platform to talk about LGBT Christian issues, and I've been doing that. And I went to seminary, did some intense study on particularly first century Greco-Roman sexuality, so I could understand the biblical texts. And then uh, was supposed to go work for the Clinton administration at the White House Office of Faith. That was the goal. Really? Trump won. So then I ended up becoming a pastor which has ended up being really great. So. All right. So Brandon thinks that Trump winning is very great. Very good. <laughs> you heard, you, 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 you heard, you heard, heard it here because of Donald Trump. You heard it here. So when did you repeal your support for the Nashville statement? <laughs> Ooh, that was like my, <laughs> my first year here at, uh, at mission gathering was when that came out and I did lead, I led the, uh, not to toot my own horn here, but we got, seven or eight thousand people signed on to my response to it called christians united and kind of just gave the big middle finger to i'm gonna cuss but i'm, I'm not gonna cuss about this you don't care. Please okay. do. <laughs> yeah for those of you who are not yeah. familiar with that of course that was a bunch of pastors getting together to say now we don't validate homosexual digging in deep doubling yeah. down on it just yeah it's mm. dumb so given okay so i'm I'm gonna push a little bit further so given your upbringing and then into ministry and realizing you were gay especially at moody bible college did was there any what did you struggle what was what was and the how dating did you like overcome that moody. struggle <laughs> well we yeah what was grinder looking like at moody that's what i'd like I, to know and also <laughs> like how you transition through this emotionally to get to the other side. I wish I knew Grindr existed at Moody. My life would have been so different. Um, that would have been so much fun. Yes, but honestly, so it's there's a whole other narrative here. Uh, I'm going to write a book about it someday because the first day I got to Moody as a freshman, uh, I met the guy who lived two doors down in the dorm. We became best friends. And within like six months, we ended up going out for coffee and he needed to tell me something. And he told me that day we went to Starbucks and he said, hey, I just need you to know I struggle with same-sex attraction. And I had never, ever admitted it before. And in a moment, it just came out of me. And I said, me too. And this guy who became my best friend, we pastored at churches as youth pastors together over the next four years. We really, I mean, we built this, what was akin to a dating relationship, but we couldn't call it that. There was no physical aspect to it. Um, And... A bromance. Yeah, but... 
Wait, I've kind had of some of those. Than that because it, yeah, it, it was like a we were dating. If if it wasn't at Moody, we would have been dating, um, and and that ended up the reason. One of the other reasons I ended up in conversion therapy was my junior year. Me and him slipped up and for one time actually kissed each other, which was life changing and amazing. Um, and then because of our guilt, we ended up going and reporting ourselves. And uh, and then they were like, okay, well, clearly you're not taking this seriously. And so now you need to do conversion uh. therapy. And we did that together. And it uh, pinnacle of that was we ended up going to Wheaton, Illinois one day together, sat in this room with these crazy conservative pastors who made us confess like that we thought about each other when we were masturbating, like crazy oh stuff. God. And then started pouring that... holy water over our private parts and speaking in tongues. And for real, it was insane. And it's those experiences that it was just like, this is not Christianity as I see it in the gospel. This is just shit. It's, it's sick. Wait a minute. Yeah. Wait a minute. So these conservative pastors were in this room and they had you got your guys's pants down. No, we didn't get naked. Oh, um, okay. So okay. I stood up. We both stood up. I still remember it so vividly. They're laying hands on us, praying, like yelling in tongues. And then they have holy water in there over your head. And they pour it on your crotch region and just like asking God to cleanse you and whatever. Wow. Insane. Just insane. I'm really sorry that you had to go through that. Man. That's crazy. Thanks. Yeah, that was that was the only part of conversion therapy that was hard is actually having to do it with somebody that I had. Now, looking back, I can see that I was in love with somebody. And here we are having to really hurt each other because we think that that's the only right way to do things. Has he come out? Is he, you know, out and proud or is he still like really uh, conservative and holding it in? Yeah. So there's parts of that story I can't go into, but he's out now. He has a, a partner, but he ended up getting married. I was in his wedding to a woman um, mm. and and then that fell apart eventually gotcha. and so yeah wow i've heard that way too many times yeah it happens a lot yeah what do we do i mean what's the end goal here like what what are we supposed to do with the knowledge right so we've got this knowledge of christ right this revelation of loving people and that we can be gods and all this right what's the next step for christianity Mm. yeah i mean i think or does christianity allow there to be a next step even for a lot of people the next step is to leave christianity that's true um and i've always said that day, since i day one i stepped into the pulpit here i said we have a revolving door policy meaning that we are going to take in our church brings in the people that are spiritually abused and broken and have been hurt by the church and they're giving it one last shot to see if there could be space for them in Christianity. And what I've discovered is oftentimes people will come, they will find healing here in what we've cultivated as this community where we are radically honest and open about this stuff. And then once they reach this place of spiritual healing, they leave and they go do something else on Sunday mornings. And I think that's okay. Like, uh, I think the role of Christianity at its healthiest is what we're trying to again, sounds kind of egotistical to say it this way, but I think what we're trying to do here is to be that place where people can come, find healing, find a different way of being Christian. And if they want to stay a part of the religion forever, we're going to exist here. Please be with us. 
And if not, we can send people on their way to go do yoga on Sunday morning instead. And like, God bless you. That's great. We're excited for you. But I think for me, that's the different posture that we're taking now is it's not about converting people to fill the pews forever. It's about being a waypoint for people to find healing. And I mean, Jesus said that there was going to be a day that comes where people would no longer would worship God in spirit and in truth, not in the institution of the temple, but on their own. And I think I'm happy with people who come to the church, find healing and can walk out and live as whole people being influenced by the way of Jesus, but they don't have to necessarily be a part of a Christian church, if that makes sense. It does. That's a powerful message that the world needs to hear right now, because that's not how the majority of Christianity functions. It's all about us versus them. And that's not, that's the opposite of us versus them. That's the, that's the message of unity and concern and compassion. That's powerful. Yeah. Now we just need to survive this election and maybe we can actually do some work on Christianity. Uh, but yeah, I mean that, yeah. that, I mean that honestly though, it's like I got into this, right? Because I wanted to reform Christianity from the inside out and not to overdo it, but we're literally facing existential threats as a species right now. And so as a pastor, I'm really like struggling with how do I keep doing this church thing, which I think is so important, but also how do we motivate and organize people to deal with, like set aside the philosophical questions for a little while and let's figure out how we actually keep our immigrant neighbor from getting taken away by ice tomorrow. Like anyways, to put a damper on the parade. It, it doesn't. And it's something that needs to be said. And it's beautiful. And I think that part that's part of Chris's question of where we go from here. You know, you answered it. Yeah. And I think it's a two part question. It's like, this is what I'm doing. But yeah, this is that's also this is what Christianity is up against. And um, for someone myself, who still wants to identify as Christian, I'm still that's what I love. I mean, that's why I'm like tearing up, like, like listen to like, I wish if I was in San Diego, brother, I'd be I'd be filling your pew on Sunday, some Sundays, maybe not during football yeah. season, but we'll see. But uh, <laughs> any, anyway, that's a straight answer. Anyway, <laughs> I mean, are you, are you, was that, are you straight shaming me right there? Was well, that, wait was a minute. That, that's that a was? stereotype. That's <laughs> yeah, a stereotype. Straight okay. people deserve to shame him all you need. every now and then. That's <laughs> true. That's fine. Um, but no, and I, and I like that because that's my struggle with Christianity currently is the, in the political realm and, and climate. And I love how you say Jesus's message really is political if you apply it politically and it should yep. and it should be and there's a lot of answers there i feel like personally but when you do that it's just so weird in a two-party system and the party lines and neither parties really care about the people and so people can claim well well trump is pro-life and jesus was clearly pro-life and so then you can't you can't be anything other but then it's like but then what about like you said the, the immigrant what about your neighbor what about everything else jesus was actually saying and what is your like and so like it's just i don't i don't know what the answer is with that you know i've sometimes i normally i just especially we're talk about Facebook. You're talking about TikTok. I'm not on TikTok. I don't know the, the world of that and how that works. Uh, Seth shared a couple of mine or a couple of years and they were great. 
Um, normally things that Seth shares from TikTok isn't. So um, they make fun of me every day, Brandon. <laughs> I'm not allowed. We have a Marco Polo group for our community. Oh, we need to get you have, in the Marco Polo group, Brandon. They have, they have shunt, they have restricted me from sharing TikTok. <laughs> so I'm really sorry. I thought I would like to share your stuff all over the place, but they don't, they don't allow me anymore. I don't know Are you know sharing why. the shirtless men videos dancing? That's what oh, I watch yeah. when I'm not watching theology. Yes. I mean, that's, that's at times, but they really frown upon that. And so <laughs> I try to do like a little bit of that with some humor. But me and, and Seth got an argument one time funny. about cops doing TikToks while they're on the job. That's a whole other story, and I'm derailing myself here. Um, although it's more fun than political conversation. Um, <laughs> but, but so that's what do you, what is the answer? What do you do? Because I have a lot of my. Fa- family and people that used to be friends, some that still are. I mean, I'm not going to like defriend people who are Trump supporters. It's not, th- but it's so in your face. It's so divisive. And it's like, and if you try to comment on it, it it's, you can't, there's no winning, you know? And, and, yeah. and then you go back to the whole big dick mentality thing and where it, there it is again. <laughs> so the third time. I think so, it's an accurate metaphor yeah, for, think, for this uh yeah, this just, interview. I'm yeah. sorry that I'm distracted you, Seth, but I mean I know <laughs> I know you're nervous already to be in this conversation. Seth so. has been over there on Scruff the whole time. That's why no, he's he been hasn't. Talking. No, and this, in not, this conversation not he has touched. not. That says a I have that not says a lot. Touched a gay app since this interview. <laughs> that says started. a lot, Brandon. May Let me just I just say that says a whole lot about you as a person because I think that's one of the first interviews that he's not been on his phone <laughs> and he's been oh, attentive oh. the entire time. So, <laughs> shut up. <laughs> so, so yeah, you you understand my what I'm getting to. I don't even really know how to phrase my question because yeah. I don't know what the answer. But no. go ahead. Basically, you, is how do you get rid of your Trump supporting family members? No. <laughs> how do we get? How do we deal with them? How For do we me, deal with them? I don't know if this is the right answer. I really don't know if it's the right answer, but it's what I'm doing. Uh, For the past eight years now, I've been involved in faith-based political groups that are progressive. And there is a growing religious left. And again, like there's part of me that's like, why just do the opposite of what conservatives are doing? But then there's another part of me that says, the way you change a culture is by winning. And I think... uh, there's a lot of us progressive clergy that are really getting involved in political activism saying like, we've got to help get these politicians and policies in place that represent the values of the common good. And so, I mean, that's what I spend my time doing. I'm a campaign advisor for the Biden campaign. I was working for Pete Buttigieg when he was running, um, trying to help organize faith people to support these candidates because whether or not I agree with everything they support, whether or not I like candidates as people, it's like, yeah, I would rather absolutely have a candidate that would be uh, more progressive than a Trumpian Christian candidate. And if we know that the conservative Christians are spending millions of dollars to help get Trump reelected, liberal Christians might as well use our resources and time and energy to try to help get people we think align with the way of Jesus elected. I'm- yeah, Joe Jorgensen, <laughs> let's just do it. Put the money back. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, yeah, it's hard. So, but, so, but but seriously, so you've been, you're in deep, you know, you've, you've chosen your party line, but (laughs) like, and that, and that, that, 
What are you laughing at, Chris? Let me ask my question. Uh, the metaphor, you're in deep. Uh, oh, okay. <laughs> yes, that is funny. Um, That's where my mind well, goes. I'm sorry. He's, he, he, we already know that he's got the biggest dick in the room. It's been swinging, so he, he's, he's in. Well, you don't have Jesus to help guide you and keep you from your sinful lust <laughs> in nature. Guide Chris. you in deep. So anyway, here we go. Um, what do you do? I don't, you may not have very many Trump supporters on your timeline at this point, oh, yeah. eight, eight years into your... Yeah. So, um, how, but how do we, I don't want to like fight politically yeah. w- with, with these people. You know, I don't think that Jesus would yeah. e- either. I mean, no. I don't know, but yeah. like, I don't see Jesus going to the bowling, the polling, polling booth, uh, and, yeah. and, uh, really voting for it, either of the candidates. You know what I mean? I don't know, but maybe I'm wrong. You would vote for Joe Biden. Get that straight right now. But, um, <laughs> thank you. Thank uh, you. Would say, Give um, to thank Caesar what is Caesar's. That's what I think he would say. Yeah. I think, so if we're talking about, if we're talking about who would Jesus vote for, I think Jesus would participate in the political process and did um, as much as he was allowed to. And I do think there is something worthwhile for Christians. If you're going to claim to be a Christian, to so hold up the red letters of Jesus and hold up the policies of both candidates and say, which one aligns. I think there's something there, but, if we're talking about how the to baby actually interact constructive. <laughs> yeah. So uh, on that one, I mean, it's it's so sad to see the whole way that conservative Christians became pro-life was literally a political move by the Christian coalition 40 years ago, sitting in a room saying, how can we gain influence? And I've been on TikTok trying to help people see that because they don't, People just think, oh, this is what Christians have always believed. No, you are literally being used, literally. Um, This whole pro-life one voter issue is the most effective political campaign, I think, in American history. Um, And the truth is no candidate is pro-abortion. Every candidate wants to see abortions reduced. The question is how we do it. And Um, usually abortions are reduced under liberal leadership. Yeah. Totally. And pro-life is bullshit because those same administrations, you see like the death toll, you see prisons and de- like, yeah. it's, there's not like, and let's get real. Yeah. How many abortions do you think Trump has been responsible for? Exactly. Exactly. And that, that has been, uh, one of my mentors, father Richard Rohr said that, uh, the evangelical support of Donald Trump will be an indictment against the validity of evangelicalism for generations to come. I think that is so true precisely on these issues. There's zero consistency in evangelicals who claimed to be the moral majority to get behind Donald Trump. It clearly shows for the world to see that it's about power and privilege. It's not about values. And they just keep digging their own grave here. Like they just keep doing it. And I I do think it's going to, in the long term, hurt evangelical credibility, certainly with millennials and Generation Z, but also with other generations. Oh, yeah, they're done. Absolutely. Yeah. It's over. <laughs> I really think so too. Yeah. Or if, if nothing else, they'll probably die out. Cause it seems like the younger generation, like, I mean, there are some, you know, hardcore conservatives that are being raised and, and I just don't, I just don't get it. Like, I just don't see how you can, but anyway, yep, man, it's been a, a pleasure, Brandon. Well, go, uh, go ahead. You yeah. Can, it's good to hang out with you. Rap us, Seth. I was just going to say, I, this was an awesome conversation. Um, I think we went a lot of different areas, a lot of different ways, but I think Very we, covered, I mean, we, we covered a lot of ground. Um, I think we covered a lot of ground. And I think that this is a really beneficial conversation for people to hear. Um, but kind of to kind of wrap this up, Brandon, 
kind of tell us how can people find you um tell us about some of the things you've done how we can maybe promote you and and get your name out there of course i think it's already out there but you know what i'm saying how can we support you tell us about your stuff the best way to get connected is the website brandonrobertson.com all social media all the books all of that's there but also as uh, we talked about i've been on tiktok for the past month and a half and i spend ungodly amounts of time every single day doing it and even if you're not a Gen Z or millennial, you should get on TikTok because it's remarkable. Um, it's it's remarkable the impact that that platform has um, mm-hmm. in the world. And so, anyways, TikTok or BrandonRobertson.com. So, awesome. All right. And what is your most recent book? Um, I just came out with a devotional, which um, don't throw me off the podcast for saying that, but because uh, devotionals were never my favorite thing, but I wrote a progressive Christian devotional for men and the idea was to get it in the hands of evangelicals who read toxic masculinity materials and kind of deconstruct that so it's called strength and faith and it came out two weeks ago awesome i love it and if you know more people were gay like yourself we'd have less abortion so it it works out that's why i'm promoting the gay agenda all that's how you're gonna end this interview Hey, look, Brandon, I really like you. Uh, you know, thank you so much for taking the time to talk with us. And, and I'd just like to say, you know, it'd be cool to have you back just to talk politics at some point, you know, certainly with yeah. the election coming up. Uh, we have your story, but, you know, maybe next time let's talk politics. And honestly, you need to hit us up on our Marco Polo app. Uh, Seth, make sure to give him the information for that. We'd love to have you over there. Our community would love to talk with you. And uh, I just appreciate you so much for your time. And it's been a great conversation. Thank you so much. Thank you. I'll see y'all here tomorrow. Same time, same day. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds good, man. Appreciate you. All right. We're off live. Okay. Awesome, yeah, man. thanks a lot, man. Wow. You did great. Really cool. You did like, really good answers. Good. I don't know if you do this like all the time, but like you definitely have thought about the, like all the stuff that we, you know, we're bringing up. So really good answers. Yeah. I appreciate the conversation, y'all. I wasn't, I, I didn't know what this was, but I'm super excited. This is, this was such a fun experience. Good. Thank you for saying that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it's an experience. That's, that's yeah. Honestly, that's the whole like. Uh, that's that's what we want to do for our guests is like really just make you feel at home. So you may like tell stories that that you may not normally tell, but not to like get you like in a compromised situation, but just so like just it's more fun that way, you know? Like cause it's not it's yeah. not rehearsed and it's more freeform and it's like it's yeah. So thank you for saying that. That's that's kind of like. Um, and you were perfect and we'd like we said it live and we weren't just like blowing smoke up your ass man we'd love to have you around